Hi there. We're in a series called We Believe, Foundations for a Resilient Faith. And what we're doing is looking at the eight key doctrines that are at the heart of the Christian faith. And we're doing it based on the Nicene Creed, which is a 1,700-year-old Christian unifying document. And we're going to be in John chapter 14 today. John chapter 14. So if you can turn there in your Bibles, that would be great. If you don't follow Jesus here, and, and you're, you're here visiting church, looking in, maybe been a few times, maybe been for a while, or might be your first day, but it might seem to you like Christianity is a series of disagreements that, uh, that Christians and churches around the world would disagree or argue about all kinds of little details of what they believe. So in some ways, it's hopefully helpful that you're here today, because what we're doing in this series is looking at the things where there is profound agreement, where we are all lined up. You will never meet a Christian, or if you do, they don't really understand what Christianity is, but people might say they are, but you will never meet a real Christian who believes, if you like, that there is seven gods rather than one, or that the Holy Spirit is not a person, or that Jesus is still dead. If you meet someone who says they're a Christian and they believe those things, you can say to them, that's not what Christianity is. That, this, that's not what the, the creeds, that's not what the essence of Christianity de- are defined to be. That's simply not what we believe. And so this series, we are going through and affirming the big things, the things that Christians, if you like, have to believe. The things that if you take them away from Christianity, the whole structure collapses. And in the language we've used a lot in this series, through the artwork as well, we, are, we believe in, that there are some doctrines that are written in pencil. You can rub them out and change them, and that's okay. Some that are written in ink, which you hold to pretty strongly, but you acknowledge you could be wrong. But then there are things that are written in blood, which are the foundations, the things that, if you take them out, Christianity kind of dies. We believe in one God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. We believe he came down from heaven and was made man. We believe he was crucified for us, according to the scriptures, under Pontius Pilate. We believe he rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is coming again in glory. And this week, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, brackets, and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. Now at this point, we have to make an admission. Because throughout this series, we've been stressing, I've been stressing, the complete unanimity, the complete agreement of the whole church on the Nicene Creed for 17 centuries. And I this morning have to acknowledge that there is a tiny exception to that principle when it comes to the words I just said were in brackets, which is the words the Father and the Son. There's one phrase, and actually in Latin it's just one word, the Latin word filioque, which means and the Son, That some parts of the church say and some parts of the church don't say. And I feel just for the sake of integrity, it's important to mention that, that there is actually one little bit, one word in Latin that the Western church tends to say. So the version we've used in this series, we do say it. We believe the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. If you go to the East, the Eastern church, the Orthodox church, they would not say that. They would say we believe the Spirit proceeds from the Father. And in many ways, I think theologically, either version is fine. I'm happy with either. I wouldn't worry at all if we were just simply to say proceeds from the Father. 
Um, but there's a historical story as to how those two slightly different versions emerged. Um, you can look into it uh, if you like. Um, but we have generally used the Western one. But I just wanted to mention that that's why there is a slight difference there. And today what we're going to do is we're going to show how all of those claims that the Spirit is the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, is worshipped and glorified and spoke by the prophets. We're going to show how all of those claims are true and how they reflect biblical teaching and in fact reflect the teaching of Jesus himself in John chapter 14. So we're going to read from there and Jesus is speaking on the night before he is crucified and this is what he says to his friends and followers. John 14 and verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper another paraclete, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever doesn't love me doesn't keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you'd have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming he has no claim on me but I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father rise let's go from here this is the word of the Lord now Christians believe in one God in three persons father son and holy spirits and the holy spirit is surely the most misunderstood of the three So if you are new to church or new to Christianity and I talk about Father, Son and Holy Spirit, probably you've got a pretty clear idea in your head of Father because you can imagine a Father. We all know what fathers are. And you can imagine a Son. And you imagine Jesus the Son because partly because he's a human being. He's quite easy to imagine. You might have a mental picture of a... You know, Palestinian Jewish guy, five, eight, five, nine, brown hair, brown eyes. You know, it's quite easy to imagine the son, and it's kind of easy to imagine the father. But the spirit, you say the Holy Spirit, and he sounds like a guy under a white sheet. Woo! It's a very kind of not an easy thing for us to picture. 
Um, and that's probably not been helped by the fact that Old English would use the words the Holy Ghost, which definitely makes somebody sound like you're hiding under a white sheet. And that's true if you're not a believer, but probably even if you are, it's harder to imagine, it's harder to have a personal image, if you like, in your mind's eye, of the person of the Holy Spirit. And he's probably the person in the Trinity that we think about the least and understand the least. And I would say that's often reflected when I hear people refer to the Holy Spirit as it rather than he. I think that's a telltale sign that we are not thinking very much about the person of the Holy Spirit because sometimes people will say, you know, God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that it does this. You see, it's, it reflects that we actually don't even think about him as a person. We think about him as a thing. And therefore, our understanding of the personhood of the Spirit is probably quite limited. Francis Chan wrote a, Pastor Francis Chan in America wrote a book a few years back called Forgotten God about the Holy Spirit. I thought it was a good title, Forgotten God. It just almost implies, well, we believe that there are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we really only think meaningfully and engage meaningfully with two of them. But when we hear Jesus talking in this text about the Holy Spirit in John, we get a totally different picture to that kind of guy in a white sheet or forgotten God idea, don't we? We get a rich, beautiful, deeply personal, actually, vision of who the Holy Spirit is. And he's here given the name the paraclete, the Greek word parakletos in verse 16. And I've left that, even though the translation I use, I use the word helper, in a, I've left it in the way we read it out as the paraclete because it is such a rich word, it's actually difficult to translate it all. And I wanted to leave the, that word up there so that we could explore some of the dimensions of it because it's a beautiful word that were we to use that word more regularly or all of the range of meaning of it more regularly, if we called him the helper instead of calling him the Holy Spirit, so I'm not saying we should, but if we did, it would be harder to think of him as an it, I suspect. And the, the Greek word paraclete is so rich because it is drawing in senses of meaning that in English you have to use eight different words to capture. So the version I read from, the ESV, goes for the word helper, which gives the image of the Holy Spirit as the one who gives us aid and assistance and support. It's a beautiful picture of somebody who comes to your aid. The NIV, which many of us use, goes for advocates. The word advocate, somebody who's on your side, and stands in your corner, and can represent you, and can contend on your behalf. The Revised Standard Version has counsellor, which implies somebody who's the one who can listen to us, and understand us, and then advise us, and direct us, which again is a beautiful picture of what the Holy Spirit does. The King James Version, if you use that, has the word comforter. Many of us have experienced the beauty of what it is to be comforted by the Holy Spirit, particularly at times of grief or loss, just to know the sense of the person of God himself coming alongside us and comforting us in our sadness and in our loss. At the same time, it's worth bearing in mind that actually even the English word comforter, or to comfort, carries the meaning not just of assistance, if you like, and, and sort of coming alongside you in grief, but actually of bringing strength to you, comfort, come with strength is almost literally what it means. So the old English word comforter could even be the strengthener, the one who comes alongside you and gives you strength when you most need it. I love the illustration um, 
in the Bayer Tapestry, you know, the sort of big tapestry in Normandy describing the Battle of Hastings. And, and this is a scene from that that you can see on the, on the screen. It's beautiful. <laughs> kind of the, lang- the Latin transcription means, here is Bishop Odo holding a staff, comfort, and he comforteth the boys. And that's the guy with the big club in the middle of the screen. It's like, man, with a massive club, he's comforting the boys. You think, man, he looks like he's going to whack them around the face because it's a way of saying, I'm strengthening you. Come on, guys, stand up and fight. It's, a, it's a, quite a robust word. And so you could call the Holy Spirit the strengthener. The noun paraclesis, so we talk about the paraclete, the Greek noun paraclesis is the spiritual gift, usually translated encouragement or exhortation. So in Romans 12, it would use the same word to describe encouraging or exhorting. Some translations I found use the word companion or the word intercessor or even the word standby. And this might sublime to the ridiculous, but last week I was in Greece and in the, ho- in the hotel toilet above the loo, it will say the words, it will start the, basically in English it's saying, we encourage you not to throw paper down the loo, that kind of thing. But the word is parakalo. Uh, again, same word, the same verb. We encourage you, we ask you, we, do you see what I mean? It's a very rich word, so it's got so many meanings of you know, help and advocacy, counseling, comfort, encouragement, exhortation, strength, prayer, advice. And that's why I've used that word paraclete to describe it. And all of those words are so rich in understanding what the Spirit does, His purpose, but they're also, if we broaden out from the word paraclete, begin to look, even we, they also communicate something of the Spirit's personhood to us, don't they? Because if you were to use all of those words of an entity, you say, this person or thing helps me, advocates for me, counsels me, comforts, strengthens, prays, accompanies, befriends, encourages, exhorts, advises, you would say, well, that's a person, Right? That's a person. You would never refer to somebody who does all of those things as a thing, as an it, as if it were an animal or even a mineral or vegetable. You'd say, no, no, that's a person. We, we believe that this, in the Spirit's personhood. We believe in the Spirit's paracleteness. His paraclesis is in all of those things together in one word. But we also believe in his personhood. Those are the things that you would say of a person. And it's interesting that as we read through the text, we find Jesus repeatedly using... He, rather than it, as he describes the person, even though in Greek the word for spirit is neuter, as in you, could, you would expect someone to use a neuter word like it. But Jesus doesn't do that. He uses the word he because he wants us to understand we are dealing with a person like he. Jesus is a person, so the Holy Spirit is a person. He loves, he rejoices, he cares, he can be grieved. And we believe in his personhood. So it's important, even as we begin to understand what Jesus is teaching us, that we recognize some of the breadth of the language Jesus uses, both to communicate his paraclesis and his personhood. And so we would yeah, believe in his paraclesis and his, and his personhood. In fact, Jesus says, of course, he's another helper, like I, as if to say, I'm a helper, I, Jesus, am a helper, and the Holy Spirit will be another helper. It'll, like I am, he will help you too. But without leaving verse 16, we find another remarkable aspect of who he is, and that is the permanence of the Holy Spirit. The permanence. I will ask the Father, Jesus says, verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another paraclete to be with you forever, even 
the spirit of truth. Forever. He will come to you forever. At the end of Matthew's gospel, you may remember, a few weeks back, Steve spoke on this text. At the very end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus promised his disciples, I am with you always to the very end of the age. But within a few days of saying that, Jesus had ascended into heaven. So what's happened to his promise? You know, if I said to you, I will always be with you, and then I disappear within a few days of saying it, you'd say, you're a promise breaker. You haven't done what you said you would do. And the answer to what's happened to the promise is that 10 days after that, the Spirit came from heaven, proceeding from the Father and the Son. He fell on the believers, the disciples, and he would be with them and with us forever. We are talking about a permanent Holy Spirit, a spirit of permanence who is always with us wherever we are, wherever we go. He never, ever leaves us. I love the way the psalmist puts it in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? I can't get away from him. If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in shale in the depths of the earth, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and hold me fast. The Spirit is always, always with us. I was so moved recently watching the movie Gravity. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a movie about, it's kind of only got two characters in it. George Clooney and Sandra Bullock are both astronauts and they're up in space, you know, outside of their spacecraft doing little things that astronauts do. And then as a result of an accident that happens on another spaceship, loads of bits of debris start flying towards them, cut their cord, and Sandra Bullock is severed from her link and just spins off into space. Just, of course, there's no gravity, so she's just spinning round and round in circles, and there's nothing she can do. And it's a very, very claustrophobic, quite intense, and in many ways very beautiful film. And I was so moved because there's this moment, and she's just spinning in space, and she's lost George Clooney, and she's lost Houston, and she's just spinning around. Nobody can hear her. She's going, hello, hello, this is agent so-and-so, I'm, hello. She's trying to communicate with someone, and nobody can hear her. And I was tearing up on the plane as I was thinking, were I in that situation, I would always have somebody who is there. I would always have the permanence of the Spirit of God to speak to. Where can I go? I could, Lord, if I was to make my bed in outer space, spinning round and round in circles, in orbit around the earth, in total darkness, even there, you would be with me. You are always, always with me. I could talk to you, even if every hope had gone, and I couldn't speak to another human soul, you would be there. Oh, permanently present one, to help me, to reassure, to comfort, to stand alongside me. I find such a powerful revelation that he is, he is Yahweh Shammah in the Old Testament. They call him the Lord who is there. He is the one who is always permanently present. And we believe in the permanence of the Spirit. Verses 17 and 18. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So fourthly, we believe in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We believe that he is God on the inside. 
that he dwells with you now, Jesus says to his disciples, and he will be in you. So he's alongside you right now, but he will be inside you when the day of Pentecost comes. Now in the past, in the Old Testament, you read through your Bible, you'll find that in the old days, the presence of God was found in specific places. So in a sense, God was everywhere, but in a sense, he was dynamically present in particular physical spaces. The Garden of Eden, the tabernacle, the tent in which God lived, the temple in Jerusalem. And you knew that he was there because there was a kind of a glory cloud that would descend. There was you could see a sort of a cloud come down and fill the holy space. And people often wouldn't even be able to minister there because of the intensity of the glory. They'd have to come out and wait until they could go back in again. And now Jesus is saying that the glory cloud is going to come and dwell in you. He's going to, where, you say, where is that today? Where's the temple today? Should we try and rebuild it in Jerusalem? And the answer is, no, no, no. The temple is here. It's in you. He dwells with you and he's going to be in you. That's where God in his glory is going to dwell. You and me are temples, if we are believers, temples of the Holy Spirit. I remember hearing Terry Virgo preach on this a few years back. And he was saying, imagine Peter hearing Jesus on this night say to him, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Imagine Peter then seeing Jesus go and die and think, we've lost him. And then he comes back from the dead and thinks, oh, we've got him again. And then he goes, he ascends into heaven and Peter goes, what? How on earth are we going to live without Jesus? And he's holding on to Jesus' promise for those days as he's waiting for the Spirit to come. He's waiting, thinking, I need Jesus to come back. He said he wasn't going to leave me alone. He wouldn't leave me as an orphan. He said he would come to me. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples. They all start speaking in languages and prophesying. And you can imagine Peter going, Jesus is back. He's back. He's come back like he said he would. Here he is. It's just like when he was with us. We can heal just like he did. We can speak just like he did. Jesus is here. And friends, that's what it is to be part of the people of God. That's what it is to come together in worship like this. That's what it is to be a Christian. It's to be a person in whom Jesus lives by his spirit with the presence of God in us. It's like he says in verse 23, doesn't he? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we'll come to him and make our home with him. You and me, Jesus says, are God's home. We believe in the Spirit's presence. We believe that he is here, and he represents the here-ness of God. And we'll move on to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now earlier in this passage, Jesus called him the Spirit of truth. So the Holy Spirit is the one who guides us into all truth and teaches us all things and brings to our minds what it was that Jesus has already said to us. So the Spirit is the one who speaks truth to us. He tells us what God says. He's also, as Jesus says in Mark, the one who speaks through the writings of the Old Testament. So, you know, the, the creed picks up on that. And the creed says, who's the Holy Spirit who spoke by the prophets. He's the one that Jesus says the, the prophets were speaking, if you like, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we have the Holy Spirit 
speak, we're, Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit speaks in the Old Testament through the prophets and through the Gospels because he just says right here, he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said. So I'm teaching you now, the Spirit will come and he will remind you what I said. And he speaks through the apostles' writings because Jesus says, and he will teach you all things and guide you into all truth. So the guys who are listening to him on this evening, Jesus is promising them, when you go and teach people, the Holy Spirit will help you and will inspire your teaching so that the church might be strengthened. That's what the New Testament letters are. They are apostles teaching the church so we might be strengthened. You see, that's why we believe in the inspiration of the Bible. Because Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was going to speak, had already spoken through the prophets and would speak by reminding them of what Jesus had said and done in the Gospels and would teach the apostles how to teach the church in the letters and revelations. So the whole Bible in that sense, Jesus has highlighted, is the work of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we believe in, if you like, the prophecy of the Holy Spirit. We believe that when the Spirit speaks, God speaks. He, he is the one through whom we hear what God would have us do. He is the prophetic Spirit. He's the speaker. And we believe in the prophecy of the Spirit. But notice also that phrase, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Now, I know this is going to look like I'm only doing this because it begins with a P, but in technical language, this is called the procession of the Holy Spirit. That's Look it up. That's what we would tend to call that doctrine. The Father sends the Spirit in the name of the Son. That's what Jesus says. The the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So the three of the Trinity working together. The Father sends the Spirit in the name of the Son. And in the creed, the line that we use at the start, we believe in the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son. And that doctrine comes straight out of John 14. We've just read it. So what happens theologically, what we do in sort of more technical language is we refer to the the Son being generated by the Father, the generation of the Son, begetting, and we refer to the procession of the Spirit. So generation of the Son, procession of the Spirit. Like rays of light proceed from the Son. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. And we believe in the procession of the Holy Spirit, that he is sent by the Father to us for our good. And then finally for now, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not not like the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Now the last two teachings, doctrines we've looked at, if you like, so far, they've been a little bit abstract, a little bit technical. But this one is wonderfully pastoral. So encouraging to know that we believe in the peace of the Holy Spirit. We we believe that Jesus says to us, as he said to them, the apostles, my peace I'm leaving with you. I'm I'm giving you my peace in human form. The Holy Spirit has come and he can quiet our hearts in and amongst the chaos and mess and suffering and disappointment of life. Some of you are living in seasons of disappointment and frustration now. Some of you in great anxiety. Some of you in great suffering. And the Holy Spirit is the one who, whether or not he instantly fixes those circumstances, provides us peace in them and to persevere through them. He's the one who comes alongside us in the storms of life and says, Shalom, my peace I give you. I'm here to 
heard a wonderful story some years ago about a, paint, a competition that was raised for painters to paint at wartime. America held a competition, so the story goes, for uh, painters to represent peace while America was at war. And all these paintings come in, and they're, lots, they're kind of things that you would expect, pastoral scenes, you know, shepherds and sheep and running brooks and all that sort of stuff. And then there was one, and, the one, and it won in the end, which was a picture of a raging storm and a waterfall, black skies, thundering waters, spray everywhere, and a branch of a tree sticking out in the middle of the waterfall, raging around it, and there's a bird on the branch singing in full song. And it won first prize. Why? Because peace is the moment that the Spirit comes to us and provides us with the joy and the shalom and the gentle presence of God in the midst of the storm that may well continue to rage. But as it does, we're able to experience the presence and the peace of God in the midst. So we believe in the peace of the Holy Spirit. Friends, we have a, we have a paraclete. We have an advisor, an advocate, a comforter, a companion, counselor, an encourager, an exhorter, a friend, a helper, an intercessor, a strengthener, a very present help in times of need. We believe in his personhood, in his permanence, in his presence, his prophecy, his procession, and his peace. And actually, we don't have to stop there. If we had the rest of Scripture to consult, we could say, yeah, we also believe in the prayer of the Holy Spirit. Right? He intercedes with us, Paul says, with groans too deep for words. He's praying for us right now. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, just as he's about to ascend, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will witness all over the world. We believe in his purity. We believe in his passion. We believe in his perseverance and his perfection and his pouring of the love of God into our hearts so we know it deep down that we are children of God. We believe that he's the spirit of promise, the one Jesus assured us would come and who is himself the guarantee that we are going to make it and inherit a new creation with Jesus and live with him forever. And friends, those are just the attributes of the spirit from one letter of the alphabet. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for our friends. We thank you for our helper our advisor, our strengthener, our help, our fortress. We thank you for the one who comes alongside in the storms, in the disappointments, in the anxieties, and represents the peace, the presence, the permanence, the beauty, the love and care of Jesus, who convicts us of sin and challenges us to live a godly life, who speaks to us with what God would have us do, who gives us wisdom and insight into our circumstances, who gives us power for mission and life. We are so grateful for him. And Holy Spirit, we invite you now to come amongst us, to move among us, to refresh us and restore us and fill us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.